to the Very Well Mind podcast. We've interviewed over 100 authors, experts, entrepreneurs, athletes, musicians, and others to help you learn strategies to care for your mental health. This episode is hosted by psychotherapist and best-selling author Amy Morin. Now let's get into the episode. Do you ever feel like there's something wrong with you because certain wellness or self-help strategies don't seem to work for you? Do you have a hard time being vulnerable with people? Do you ever feel exhausted because you feel like you have to constantly present yourself a certain way? If you answered yes to any of those questions, today's episode is for you. I'm talking to the amazing Jordana Brewster, the actress who stars in the Fast and Furious franchise. She also appeared in tons of other movies and shows, including All My Children, the Dallas reboot, and the latest Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. And today she's here to talk about all things related to mental health. For a long time, she's been open about the fact that she struggled with an eating disorder and that she's been in therapy. So I wanted to talk to her about how she manages her mental health these days. And I love the strategies that she shares. I think you will too. Some of the things she talks about are the pressures of developing a work-life balance, the strategies she's learned in therapy to calm her anxiety, and what she learned about bravery that she wished she could have learned at a younger age. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for the therapist's take. It's the part of the show where I'll give you my take on Jordana's strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. So here's Jordana Brewster on how to be mindful, vulnerable, and real. Jordana Brewster, welcome to the Very Well Mind podcast. Thank you. It's really nice to be here. I'm excited to talk to you. I learned that you have two movies coming out in May. Am I right? Um, I, well, I have one. I have Fast and Furious coming, Fast, Fast X coming out in May. And then um, I do have Simulant coming out as well. Yeah. I was looking at your Instagram page too, at all of the projects you have going on. You are a busy woman. It's, you know what? I always knew that in my 40s, things would like start happening. And now I'm just... I love that I'm working so much like back to back. It's it's a really exciting time. Then how do you manage work with everything else? You're newly married as well. Yeah, I am. Um, <laughs> you know what? I I don't is the most honest answer. I think I, I work with this wonderful therapist called Casey Crown. And I think my whole life I've been trying to achieve this like balance and this state of happiness. And I think I, I hit almost perfect pitch during COVID, strangely enough. Um, but she had to sort of be like, Jordana, there's no such thing as perfect balance, or there's no such thing as like perfect, as like utter happiness at all times. So I, I think I have to, when I'm on set and working, I have to remind myself, enjoy this now, because this isn't going to last forever. And then when I'm with my kids, I have to remember be present, put the phone down. Don't worry about calling Liz, my manager, or calling or, or worrying about next week or what to schedule. And that's, that's the biggest challenge in my life. But yeah, that's my honest answer. Uh, well, I appreciate the honesty because that's tough to do, right? When we're working, we feel guilty that we're not spending time with loved ones. And then sometimes when we spend time with loved ones, it's tempting to check your phone and feel like you should be working, right? Yeah, it is. It really is. 
and and also to be honest with um I think honest communication with my kids about work is also is also important. Like I I recently was talking to my son who's who's 9 and I was like, "Hey, like how would you feel if mom just wasn't away for like I I try as much as possible to be away for like 3 weeks at a time and if I'm going to be gone for longer, I I um either get them to visit me or I come back." Um and he's like I would never want you to just be with us 24 seven. Like, I love that you work. I appreciate that. And, um, and so checking in with him helped too. Cause I think I was just vilifying myself in my head. Oh, that's pretty cool because I don't think a lot of parents do that, right? To have that conversation about, Hey, how do you feel about this? He's a very, He's a very precocious kid. So I feel like I, I have that ability with him. And he also, now he wants to, to try acting and go to classes. And I was so touched when he did that because I was like, oh, he, he looks up to me and he, he, he thinks it's cool to be able to travel and, and, and go on set and be around different people. And so that was very validating for me. Because I think for a lot of parents, it would be easy to tell themselves the story of my kids are suffering or because I'm not home, they're struggling in X, Y, or Z. But when you have that conversation, maybe they tell you, no, like, I think it's awesome you're doing this. Yeah, you know, and I think it's, I think it's something um, we tell ourselves as moms. Dads don't as much, I don't think. Uh, that might be a controversial controversial thing to say, but I think the mom guilt is real. And I also think that, that society feeds into it. You know, I, I think I've been, I gravitate towards people that, that also struggle with work-life balance and, um, and, and, but I do think that there's this sort of looking down upon like, oh, you're, you're choosing this instead of that. And, and putting one, I'm trying to be very diplomatic here and how I, and how I phrase this, but choosing one over the other as if, as if one choice is better instead of respecting all choices, you know? And then also putting everything in perspective and being like, hey, it's a luxury to be able to do what I do. And yeah. Yeah. I think there's this idea when we talk about balance, like you should be putting in X amount of hours at home, X amount of hours at work, and that it will somehow equal out, which is ridiculous. That's not how it works anyway. But knowing it's about quality time, about how you're going to spend it, because how many parents might be home more often, but when they are, they're on their phone or they're distracted or they're thinking about other things anyway. Absolutely. Totally. And you mentioned your therapist. A lot of people aren't open about the fact that they talk to a therapist. How did it come to be that you decided you were going to talk about that? Um, That I was going to talk... Well, you know, I I wrote an article... um, after my divorce in 2020 about the decision to get divorced, about struggling with an eating disorder and, and being open about that was, was very cathartic, but also I got this outpouring of like, I just had this community of of women that reached out, whether it was DMing on Instagram or, or people I knew that were like, thank you for being honest about that. And I really related to that. And I just feel like there's there's a lot of strength in community. And, and I'm also the kind of chick at a dinner party where I, I can't handle small talk. It makes me anxious. I'd rather just go deep really fast. And that's usually what I do. Um, so I'd rather just be honest about it. I think it's really healthy. Um, I've been in therapy since I was, I think it was my freshman year at college was, was my first year of therapy. And it, it was somewhat 
I guess, taboo back then or not, not as uh, common as it is now. But yeah, it was really, really helpful. I'm glad you said that because I'm seeing a big difference. It was probably 20 years ago that I became a therapist. And at the time, people, nobody wanted to admit that they saw me or anything like that. And that's definitely grown. And I think because of people like you who say, no, actually, I have somebody I talk to, too. It kind of normalizes it. Yeah, for sure. It absolutely does. Yeah. And then when you talk about community, too, that's huge. And I've said this on the show before, but as a therapist, it's like all day people would come into my office and say, I'm the only one struggling with this. Nobody knows I have this problem. And then the next person would come in and say something very similar. And it was like, if only these two people could have this conversation, they would know that they weren't alone. But so many people just were afraid to talk about the things that weren't exciting or good, or they just felt pressure to say, no, I'm great. Things are wonderful. How are you? And have that surface conversation. Did you make that decision of, hey, I'm going to come out and I'm going to acknowledge that maybe there are some things I struggle with? Or how did that story finally come to light? I think, um, well, as far as friendships go, like I love people that are brutally honest and just sort of wear their hearts and their neurosis on their sleeve. And so like, um, I just find that more human and endearing. And, and I think I spent so many years, I spent 20 years just going, and I also grew up, like you have to remember, I grew up like, I guess we're, we, I'm, I'm going to be 43 this month. Um, I don't know how old you are, but I'm 43. <laughs> okay. There we go. Yeah. There we go. I, I grew up in the era of like, Jennifer Love Hewitt and Maxim Covers and like, I don't know why I referenced Jennifer Love Hewitt, but but Maxim Covers and FHM and, you know, you have to be perfect and you don't talk about your flaws and, and there was so much pressure and, and I was constantly doubting myself. And I also went to Yale and I was an A student and I, I just, it was just like be perfect, perfect, perfect. And then when I finally was able to, and I was always watching myself, like, what's the right thing to say? don't seem too prissy, don't seem too snobby, don't seem like, be funny. It was just like this exhausting editor in my brains, like watching what I did. Um, But then when I finally was like, when I finally said like F off to the editor and was myself, it was so liberating. My work as an actress got better. I started attracting the right people. And so I just took this sort of like, I just became more brave. I mean, it took a long time. And I think that's why a lot of people say youth is wasted on the young. It kind of is. I wish I could have had that bravery as a, in my 20s, but it just, it just took a bit. I like that phrase that you use, that you told your editor to F off so that yeah. you felt like you could be comfortable with people. And there's tons of research behind that. We think people are going to like us when we impress them. But really, people actually like us more when we tell them about our struggles and we become real with them because then they can relate to us because they right. know what it's like. And I actually, I find that in keeping with that, like therapy groups sometimes are great. Like I'll go on retreats where it's like a, a three day, um, what do you call those? You call those, uh, retreats where everyone shares and, um, and, and it's often the same themes or everyone's talking about something that you thought was unique to, to you. And you're like, wait, I thought I was the only one carrying that. Um, I think that's, that's very, very common, especially amongst women. We just, we don't feel like, I don't know that we can, or maybe it's also cultural. We just feel like uh, it's not okay to share something or to be vulnerable. And social media has made it worse, hasn't it? Yeah, social media is a really, really 
interesting one. For me, it, it's just sort of this addictive thing where sometimes I check how many hours I spend on the phone and it's like upwards of seven and I'm like, oh my God. Right, right. It's awful. How do you decide what to keep private and what, what to make public, especially since you are a public figure? I go with my gut. Um, you know, recently my kids are getting older. Uh, Julian's nine, Rowan's six. So, and I find that because I, I, because I like being brutally honest and because I like veering towards humor, I, I often talk about them or post about them, but I think I'm going to, I'm not going to do that as much because it's not fair. They're not consenting to it. Um, so I, I, I'm going to stop that. Um, I check in with my husband because he's also brutally honest, but, but he's also, now been dragged into the public because of me. So I actually checked in with him before this podcast and I was like, Hey, how do you feel about, you know, me talking about this or like we go to couples therapy sometimes. And and he's like, yeah, that's fine. But I, I have to ask whether or not someone consents to that, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's interesting. But then, but then again, I often talk about my mom on stuff and like, she just doesn't even realize. So I'm like, oh, whatever. <laughs> or I talked right. to my sister an hour ago and I was like, oh, I'm going to do this podcast. It's about mental health. And she was like, ah, what are you going to offer on that? <laughs> Funny, Bella. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I can imagine that that's going to be a tough one when there's other people to be included. I'm an author. And so in writing stories about people, I have to think about that too. Like, I don't want to write a story that is about somebody in my life. And even if I don't say their name, sometimes it's easy, easily identifiable of who I might be referring to. So you have to be careful about that, right? You do. I mean, I'm, I'm writing a script and it involves a lot of my family members. And, and I, don't, I don't know because I think a lot of people have different versions of themselves in their own head and different stories versus like how, like how I remember my childhood isn't necessarily how my sister remembers her childhood or isn't how my mom remembers raising us. So I think, I don't know that they'll be able to identify what I've written about. I mean, they will now that I've said it on the, on your podcast, but, um, sometimes I wonder about that, but with you, you're writing about case studies or I want to, I want to actually want to read your, your book about, um, advice about kids and mental habits to break. I think that's, really, really important, especially with kids these days. Yeah. And we don't talk enough about mental health for kids or mental strength with kids and parenting strategies. But yeah, I talk a lot about case studies also. Um, and of course, I don't use anybody, my real therapy clients' names or of course not occupations and that sort of a thing. But there's also stories in there that are personal sometimes too about family members and things like that. So it's about... Well, because that's the richest stuff to draw from, right? Right. Like that's where you get the most triggered. That's where you just that's yeah and as you say the interesting piece of you could ask two kids who grew up in the same house what their childhood was like and you might get two completely different versions of the story and it's not that either one is lying it's just that their experience was so different mm. and i think a lot of us don't realize that that our stories in life the stories we tell ourselves the stories we create based on our experiences can have such a different flavor depending on that inner narrative that we have. Yeah, and 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 our ability to change them gives us a lot of power, I think. I I w- there was a study about how human brains like we are geared towards the negative, right? So we have to really make an effort to sort of 
change our perspective so that we're seeing things in a more positive light. Because I am the person who will, like, I'll get the best news and I'm, and I'm like, well, if there's a 98% chance, well, what about that 2%? Like, you know, I'm, I, I am a worry wart and, and I see the same thing in my kids. And, and it's like, I've had to work so hard, whether it was in my thirties, I started daily meditation, like Vedic meditation. And that really helped sort of calm my nervous system down. Um, and it allowed me to sort of see like my monkey mind and go, oh, wait, that's not me. That's just, I don't want to be hijacked by that. And that practice worked for me for a long time until, until then I had kids and I just didn't have the time. Like I, I, I found myself going, I have to meditate. Like, and then I was just like shutting out my kids so that I could, and I was like, wait, I need a better system. This isn't, this isn't working. Um, and so now I, I practice mindfulness in a different way. I practice it with them or I, I take them through um, like a sort of guided meditation so that I can integrate it. And, 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 and it's wonderful that now it's normalized for kids. Like back in the day, I would have been like, what, what are we doing? Like paying attention to my breathing, what? But my kids are like, yeah, okay, let's do it, which is so cool. Um, I went off on a massive tangent. I don't know uh, where we were, but. Well, I'm curious, how did you learn meditation? Because I'll hear a lot of people say, I'm kind of interested in this meditation thing, but I don't know where to begin. How did you learn it? Well, I learned it. Um, I learned it with a teacher named Emily, Amelie Grieven. Uh, it was Vedic meditation. And so it's it's very similar to transcendental meditation. You you get a mantra, which is specific to you. And then you practice that mantra for 20 minutes in the morning, as I said, and 20 minutes um, at night. and just your capacity to sort of relax yourself, it, it just, it becomes almost addictive in that you realize, oh wait, I'm capable of, of not having to always do something, of not, and you're also not dependent on your, your device. Because I know there are lots of uh, different um, meditation apps and all of that, but you just, you, all you need is your brain, your mantra, and some time. Um, so that's how I learned. And it, I just... I, the reason I did it, I, one one day I was in the shower and I was washing my hair and I remember my just having this like, just so much anxiety that like my neck was just sort of frozen. And I was like, I have to, it's like this works for me in my teens and as I got through college and as I juggled school and work, but this isn't working anymore. Because I was just the kind of person that was always like, I'm going to get through it. And then I think at some point your body starts going, no, that's no, you got to chill. Yeah. The number of people that would come into my therapy office with sore muscles and they couldn't figure out why their back and their neck were sore. And it was because they were so tense getting through the mm -hmm. day and they would learn skills like progressive muscle relaxation or meditation and for the first time, they were like, oh, this is what it feels like to relax. Yeah. And for a lot of people, it just looked like the weight of the world was kind of lifted off their shoulders, but it took a lot of effort to practice relaxing. Yeah. I mean, I used to, I used to need a mouth guard because I was clenching so bad at night. Just, and, and I think, you know, recently with, with Casey, I, I sort of, um, she and I realized like we do really choose our own experience. Like now at 43, I'm able to go, I, I can either live that way and pack my schedule and, and, and see everything as like a, a conflict I have to get through, or I can just see things as, you know what? I, 
I chose this and it's going to be really hard for the next two months. And, but I'm going to deal with it as best I can, you know? And, and so changing my mindset is something I'm working on now. The language we use is really powerful, right? Because I'll find myself doing that when I say, oh, I have to do this. Yeah. Or I'll get worked up and then I take a step back and think, okay, Amy, like this isn't the end of the world. The sun's still going to rise tomorrow if you didn't get X, Y, and Z done. It's okay. But it takes extra effort to do just that. But changing our language can be huge and just recognizing that the choices that we make and that we can get through it as opposed to telling ourselves like, I have to, and we're rushing and we're hurrying to get through as much done as we possibly can. And and also when we rush and we hurry and we, because the the type A student thing, it doesn't work. Like I, I was recently working with my, I sound like, <laughs> okay, this is going to sound so silly, but um, someone recently called it their, um, they're like their committee, like their people that they go to to ask questions, questions to, and they have like a big question. And, and I have the same thing. It's like whether it's my acting coach or my manager or or my therapist, but my acting coach was like, Hannah, you're just like rushing to the end of the line instead of like really being there with me for the whole thing. And like that realization made me slow down and made me present and it, it changed the game for me. And I think the same thing is true for life. Like if you're rushing through an application or rushing through an email to get it done, like that email wasn't written thoughtfully. It didn't have your character in it. It wasn't. And that's something I'm learning now. I'm like, oh wait, if I slow down and do things thoughtfully versus just doing 10 things, if I do two things well, that's better. Yeah. And I have that tendency to always be like, what's next? Like if I'm going to do something, I'm always like, okay, hurry up and get this done and I'll move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And when I do that, I know that I miss out on what I'm, what's right in front of me right now. Totally. So what do you do now, now that you, you don't meditate, but you said you practice mindfulness? What are some other things that you do to take care of your mental health these days? Um, therapy is one. So I've, I, I, I work with Casey Crown. Um, I also work with, I work with energy a lot. I think, um, so I also work with, uh, her name is Jackie Leonardini and she takes me through these sort of guided meditations. And it's something I'm also able to do when I'm feeling, because something happened in my thirties and, and, and forties where, Anxiety wasn't so much in my head, it got physical. Mm. Where I'd I'd be driving, you know, up a hill or up mountains and I would get sweaty in my feet, like sweaty in my palms, my heart would start racing, and I would it was just like this weird physiological reaction. And sometimes I'll have it in social situations too, where I'll just go, Oh God, what's gonna happen? And I have to like center myself and calm myself. And you don't Sometimes it's hard to tell, like, what's igniting that? Did I have too much coffee? Did I not sleep well enough? Am I picking up on someone else's energy? Um, And so we go through these exercises. Sorry, my dog's barking. um, Where you ground yourself, you check back in. And really, it's just a lack of presence. My brain is either, you know, occupied with someone else or in the future. And my body's going, stop it. And, And I... I have to, instead of seeing it as a problem, because I was, I was pathologizing it and I was like, WebMD, am I having an anxiety attack? Like, what is this? Um, It was like, no, you just, you have to check in and be present. And I'm, now I'm, I see it as, I'm grateful for it because it's like, slow down, check in, um, don't overload uh, the schedule. 
So, so those are, are things I have to do. Like I, I stop myself and go, okay, I have three free days with the kids. And my first instinct is to go, oh, well, how can I fill them? And, and, and what, you know, how can I make it the most effective time ever? And instead of doing that, it's like, you know, maybe give yourself four hours at home and read and meditate and relax. But that just doesn't compute. That's not where I go first. And I have to sort of make myself do that. So I'm making that second nature. I'm, I'm getting better at that. So that's how I take care of myself. And running first thing in the morning. <laughs> oh, good for you. I run at night, which everybody says. Oh, you should how exercise. do you do that? You know, fine. I sleep like a log. It's not a problem for me. But I live in South Florida where it's hot. So I either have to get up really early or run it or run late in the day. I'm a night owl, so I'd prefer late in the day. But Oh, nice. But most of the studies would say you should do it in the morning. So good for you. <laughs> well, I'm just like, I'm like a little hummingbird in the morning. Mm-hmm. So it's just, I didn't choose it. When you um, take time to relax, like, is that at all anxiety provoking? Because I'll talk to people sometimes who say, you know, I'm really productive. And then when I try to like read a book or just relax and enjoy the moment, sometimes at first they'll say that's really anxiety provoking. Was it for you? No, but I do find that um, it's easiest when I have two things. So like reading in the bath or reading on the treadmill or listening to a podcast as I walk the dog. So for for some reason, I, I still love multitasking. It is, it is, what is very anxiety inducing for me is um, breathing exercises. Stopping and focusing on my breath makes me want to die. Like, I'm just like, it, it's, it's like all of a sudden I have this like existential awareness and I'm just like, like I get short of breath when I, when I do that. Um, but stopping and, and, and just reading. No, I'm not, I'm not going that fast. Thank thank goodness. Do you still try to do breathing exercises or did you decide to pass on those? I just decided to pass on those. I mean, I like like pranayama breathing. I like, I like, um, there's a yoga class I take in LA, but I just, those are not the types of meditation. I, I like guided meditations where you're picturing something and, or you're visualizing or it's, it's, um, but just no, like even talking about it, it's just giving me anxiety. I don't, it must mean something. I wonder if you're analyzing me right now. I'm not. Instead, I'm just impressed that you said, I'm going to take what works for me and leave the rest because I talk to so many people who feel pressure because they're like, well, this exercise is supposed to work and they like hold on to it. Like, no, if something doesn't work for you, skip it and move on. So that's what I'm impressed with as you're talking about that. Yeah, I think that's really healthy. It's like it's like sometimes my knee hurts when I run and my trainer's like, you should go see a blah, blah, blah specialist. And I'm like, no, I don't want to change my gait and like become obsessed with how I run because that's going to take all the enjoyment out of it. Like, no, I don't, I don't need to force myself to meditate a certain way. Right, just like I'm not going to force myself to run in the morning. Take what works <laughs> and you can break totally. some of the rules. But I think a lot of people feel bad if they're breaking the quote unquote rules. There's so many things on the internet these days that say you should do X, Y, and Z. And these are the things that work. And I'll come across a lot of people who will say, well, it doesn't work for me. Is there something wrong with me? Nope. Might just be that that particular thing isn't a good fit for you. And that's okay. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Take it or leave it. Right? 
Uh, so anything else that we haven't talked about in terms of self-care strategies that you find are, are super helpful for you? Um, I think journaling, like writing down journaling. And there's this thing that I learned called um, sunspoking that I also learned from Casey and Jackie, where you just sort of, and it's similar to like back in the day, before I had kids, I used to love doing these sort of pastiches of, of what I wanted to attain and goals. And I would Back, back when we had magazines, I would like cut them out and just put, put them on boards and then like put them all over the place, like um, just sort of manifestation posters. And um, I, I, love, I still love doing it with like just putting pen to paper and like writing down what I want for this week or what my goals are for the next month. I think it's really important to, to, to really think about what you want to manifest. Um, and to see those come through feels like very, very, very powerful. And to be very intentional about what you want, I think is, is very, very important. And, and in that same vein, knowing that whatever you put out there is so powerful helps with the negativity, you know, because, because anytime I'm like, mm, I don't like that, you know, it's, I'm, I'm shooting here and it's exhausting or, oh, my kids are really, and it's like, don't put that out there. That's, you know, that's not sending the right message out there. I think, I think as a society, we're all getting way more in tune with like energy and how it affects others and how it affects us and what the consequences are of that. And so, um, I think it's very important to be mindful of that. I think so too. And we take stuff out of our brains and you put a pen to paper helps us make so much more sense of it. I could talk to you all day. These are all amazing things. But for people who are listening who might say, yeah, but I'm, I'm still struggling. Do you have one piece of advice for somebody who maybe is having a hard time with their mental health? I mean, as someone who's been in therapy for 25 years, I think it's really, really important to have someone you trust that you can talk to. And, and, and to me, it's been different therapists throughout the different phases of my life. But um you get different tools from different pe- practitioners and it's uh, invaluable. I'm glad you said that too, because sometimes I think people assume if they try therapy once and it didn't work, that therapy is not for them. Sometimes It's kind of like dating. It's just not the right person for you. Right. You know, it's, it's not the right method for you. Um, you kind of have to try out different, different people. Absolutely. Jordana Brewster, thank you so much for being on the Very Well Mind podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm going to order your book on kids right now. Oh, awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. This was fun. Welcome to The Therapist Take. This is the part of the show where I'll break down Jordana's strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. Here are three of my favorite strategies that Jordana shared. Number one, stop trying to achieve the perfect work-life balance. I was thrilled that Jordana said she stopped trying to achieve the perfect work-life balance. A lot of people feel like work and non-work activities have to be balanced in terms of their time and their energy. And it's easy to get caught up into thinking that balance means equal. But that's not realistic. There are going to be times in your life when work might require a lot more of your attention. And times when your personal life requires more of your time. And everyone is different. Your family situation, your financial situation, the type of work you do, your personality, and the stage of life are just a few factors that determine where your time and energy should go. If you're okay with the way things are, even if things feel out of balance, that's okay. Jordana made it clear that her work-life balance feels off kilter. 
but she's just learned to accept that and move forward. Whenever you have a problem, you have two choices. You can fix the problem or fix how you feel about the problem. If you feel like your life is out of balance, but you don't feel like that's a problem, there might not be anything to fix. Number two, pick the wellness strategies that work for you and leave the rest. Jordana said when a breathing exercise didn't work for her, in fact, it caused her more anxiety, she just quit doing it. I'm glad that she said that. There are tons of wellness strategies out there, but just because something works for one person doesn't mean it will work for you. You might find that a strategy takes too long to learn or it takes more effort than it's worth, so you decide not to do those things. And you can break some of the wellness rules too. There's a lot of advice out there about self-discipline and peak performance, but you don't need to follow it all. You don't have to wake up at 4 a.m., exercise for two hours, take an ice bath, and then meditate for 30 minutes if you don't want to. So I love that Jordana gave herself permission to quit something that didn't work for her, and she chose to keep pursuing the strategies that she does enjoy. Keep in mind, though, that just because something doesn't work doesn't mean that there aren't any options for things that could work for you. There might be a specific therapist, a different medication, or a different self-help strategy that might be a better fit for you. There are many different things that work for different people, and you get to pick what you want to try, sort of like an a la carte menu for your life. And number three, ignore the editor in your brain. I thought it was great when Jordana talked about the editor in her brain who always tells her to act differently or to be someone she's not, just so that she can make a good impression and be liked. Imagining an editor in your brain anxiously trying to control everything so that people get the edited version of you is a great metaphor. All of us feel pressure to present ourselves in a certain light sometimes. And if you constantly give in to that pressure, you'll waste a lot of energy editing the things that you wanted to say or do. You don't have to just go around, though, being the edited version of yourself in hopes that you'll be liked. It can be really liberating to know that it's okay if not everyone likes you. That's not to say that you might not act differently in different situations. You might not talk to your boss the same way that you talk to your grandmother. Being socially appropriate is healthy, but editing yourself because you're trying to be liked isn't. So you might try reminding yourself that you don't have to listen to your editor. It might work for you, just like it worked for Jordana. So those are three of Jordana's mental strength building strategies that I highly recommend. Stop trying to achieve the perfect work-life balance. Use the wellness strategies that work for you and leave the rest and ignore the editor in your brain. Keep an eye out for Jordana in the movies Fast X and Simulant. Both are coming to a theater near you soon. Thank you for listening to the Very Well Mind podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share the episode with your friends and family and leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the Very Well Mind podcast, you can head to verywellmind.com slash podcasts.